Shalom. This is Rabbi David Tilkiger of Congregation Mayim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshicheinu Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Avrahamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, I pray that uh, you will move in a mighty and powerful way in this message. I pray that you speak boldly through me, that it be your words heard and your voice received, that nothing in me be involved except that which you have already ordained for this purpose. Father, we thank you for meeting with us and for encountering us. And Father, I pray that you uh, make us more in your image and likeness today, that we will leave this place changed and ready to impact the world for the good of your kingdom. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray and everyone says, Amen and Amen. Uh, this week we have a double parsha, Parsha Behar and Bechuchotai. Uh, it's the last two parshot of uh, Leviticus. Uh, so it's basically Leviticus 25 through the end of 27. Uh, and it covers a lot. If you've read the parsha, which I hope you have, I hope that you take the time each week to go through the parshot uh, and, and read the, uh, the scriptures as we go through each week. Uh, we have these uh, bookmarks that we put out that I think we actually need fresh ones now, uh, but we have these bookmarks that we put out uh, for, for you that have four weeks consecutively on them and breaks the Parsha down into an easy way to be able to read it over the course of the week uh, and make it easier on you to be able to dig in and study and be prepared on Saturdays when you come. Uh, but if you look through this Parsha or the double Parsha this week, what you'll realize is that there is a lot happening here, right? First and foremost, Parsha Behar uh, right out the gate is dealing with what? The Shemitah and the Yovel, or the, the, the sabbatical year and the Jubilee year, right? And uh, the scripture says when you come into the land that you are to work the land for six years and then you are to allow it to rest for one full year. And on the sixth year, the, pro- the land will produce enough food to provide for you for three years. That's really hard to fathom, right? As a matter of fact, the sages say, not only is it hard to fathom, but it's even more complicated in the fact that five years of continual uh, planting and harvesting means that sixth year, theoretically, is the least nourished and nutrient-based land that there is over the course of the six years you're using it. Yet somehow that sixth year is going to produce enough food for you and your household and your livestock and everyone else to eat for for three years. How do we get three years? (coughs) Excuse me. First is the uh, six, the six year itself, it's going to produce for that. Uh, the next is going to be for the, the Shemitah, the seventh year, the sabbatical year, where you can't work the land. And then the third year is going to be for the eighth year, or the beginning of the new Shemitah cycle, because you won't actually be able to eat that land until the harvest comes in for there. So it's going to provide enough food for three years for you to eat. And then it talks about how uh, you're to count seven uh, Shemitahs or seven uh, years of seven. And then on the 50th year, proclaim the Yovel or the Jubilee. And the Yovel is when all of the land, uh, because the land of Israel is supposed to be a tribal inheritance. So all of the land then reverts back. It doesn't matter how you sold it, who you sold it to, when you sold it or anything like that. All the land uh, is restored back to its actual tribal inheritance, back to those that it's supposed to be uh, in the hands of. So if you sell property for whatever reason, you know in the future it comes back to you or it comes back to your family. Uh, And then also slaves and so on are set free. All debts are released. 
Uh, I don't know about you guys, but that would be really awesome. Uh, anybody that carries a mortgage would be ecstatic when that is released all of a sudden. Uh, so the, uh, the idea here is phenomenal. As a matter of fact, we look at the, the Shemitah here, and uh, the, the Talmud talks about how it's a, uh, a, a kind of a prophetic idea or a prophetic concept of the ages of the world, and that there will be six uh, thousand year periods or 6,000 years in which the world will be uh, worked and toiled and things will happen where we will be involved and then there will be the 7,000th year of the Shemitah year which will be an eternal uh, Sabbath, an eternal sabbatical in which we will be in the presence of the Lord and they call it the age of Mashiach or the age of Messiah. Um, and uh, anybody that studies history and studies the scriptures and how things pan out, it's probably not so far from the truth, right? Uh, the, the Lord doesn't just randomly give us things without it having a specific meaning and purpose. And in this case, I believe that it's, it's likely somewhat connected to the Shemitah being a prophecy of the future. And so we know we're awaiting the eternal Sabbath, the eternal Shabbat in the presence of the Lord. And so the Shemitah year gives us that, that concept leading up to it. Um, so as we move through this, uh, we realize that there's a lot that is said, that there's a lot of spiritual reality that's connected to it. Um, but I actually want to focus today a little less on the Shemitah and the Yovel, and we'll come back to it some at the end, but a little less on that. I want to focus more on Parsha B'chukotai, the final Parsha of this week, the final Parsha of Leviticus. Uh, Parsha B'chukotai begins with uh, Leviticus chapter 26, verse 3. So if you have your scriptures, go ahead and open up there. Leviticus 26, verse 3. It says, If you walk in my statutes... Keep my mitzvot and carry them out. Then I will give you rains in their season. The land will yield its crops and the trees of the field will yield their fruit. Skipping to verse 6. I will bring shalom or peace in the land and you will lie down with no one making you afraid. I will remove dangerous beasts from the land and no sword will pass through your land. Verse 9. I will turn toward you, make you fruitful and multiply you and I will confirm my covenant with you. Verse 11. I will set my tabernacle among you and my soul will not abhor you. I will walk among you and will be your God and you will be my people. I am Adonai your God who brought you out, uh, brought you forth out of the land of Egypt so that you would not be their slaves. And I have broken the bars of your yoke and made you walk upright. So verse three in Hebrew says, Im telehu ve'et mitzvotai tishmuru ve'asetem otam. And the Hebrew can, can actually be, you know, as we see here in the Tree of Life and many other translations says something along the lines of, if you walk in my statutes or my ordinances and keep my mitzvot or my commandments and carry them out. Um, but the Hebrew can actually also be translated as, if only you would walk in my statutes, keep my mitzvot and carry them out. If only you would do this, then I would take care of you. And the idea behind it is that we know that ultimately Israel doesn't walk faithfully in the statutes and the ordinances of the Lord and the commandments of the Lord. Ultimately, we do not walk faithfully in our covenant with him, even though he is ever faithful in his covenant to us. And so the Lord says, if only you would do these things, then I would be able to bless you and walk faithfully among you and so on. The word telehu uh, actually comes, it means you, uh, it's translated here as you walk. Uh, it, it literally comes from the root word halach, which is walk, which is the base word, the root word for the word halacha, which is how we live out the commandments. It literally means the walk or the, the righteous walk, the, the walk, uh, how we interpret the scriptures, how we're to live out the commandments in our lives. Uh, and in Judaism, it's also the, the halakha is also references kind of Jewish, Jewish law, if you would. Uh, but it's, it's the walk. It's the upright walk. It's how we walk with the Lord. 
And so here in verse 3, right out the gate of this parsha, it says, if you walk or if you uh, uh, halach, if you walk in my statutes, keep my mitzvot and carry them out, then I will give you rains in their season, the land will yield its crop, and the trees of the field will yield their fruit. And most importantly, verse 11, I will set my tabernacle among you and my soul will not abhor you. I will walk among you and will be your God and you will be my people. See, this is basically the gist of the entire Torah. Ultimately, it's the gist of the entire scriptures. The Lord wants to walk among us. He wants to interact with us. He wants to live in relationship with us. He wants us to love him, to receive his love, and to embrace him as he embraces us. As a matter of fact, and we talked about this briefly last week, we were created specifically to be in his presence, right? That was all we were created for. If you go back to the garden, Adam and Eve were not at all shocked when the Lord suddenly appeared before them in the middle of the day. I believe they weren't shocked because they were used to it. The Lord appeared before them in the middle of the day every day to walk with them. And I picture Adam and Eve walking with, with uh, Adonai as a child with his Abba, with his daddy, holding hands uh, and having this joyful glee as they get to walk with the Lord. This is what the Lord wants with us. This is what he created us for. Look, in all honesty, and I said this last week, in all honesty, he doesn't need us right? He was perfectly fine without us. As a matter of fact, I think he would be better off without us. He doesn't need us, but he wants us. He doesn't need our praise, but he wants it. He doesn't need our love, but he wants it. He created us for that purpose. He created us to be able to interact with him. He is our father. We are his children. And there's a, a deep relationship that goes there. And he says here, I will set my tabernacle on you. If only you walk in my ways, I will set my tabernacle among you. Excuse me, what is his tabernacle? It is the place in which his presence, his Shekinah's divine glory, resides in the midst of the people. It lives in the midst of the people with the cloud uh, uh, by day and the fire by night. It resides in the midst of the people that the people of Israel, the people that are God's people, may know his presence and interact with it. He says, I will place my tabernacle among you. And then he takes it a step further. He says, I will walk among you. I will be your God and you will be my people. The Lord doesn't just want his presence to be in the midst of us that we can look at it, right? He doesn't want us to, to just see it in the distance because we may be in a camp on the outskirts uh, of the camp of the tribe of, of Judah or the tribe of Dan or whatever, looking into his presence way out in the distance in the tabernacle in the center of the camps of Israel. He doesn't want us just to do that. He says, I will walk among you. He says, not only will I put my presence here in your midst, but I will walk among you if you only stay in allegiance with me, if you only stay in alignment with my covenants that I have made with you, if you will only honor my statutes, my mitzvot, and carry them or keep them throughout your life. <coughs> Excuse me. I think it's interesting that he says, if you will uh, honor my statutes or, or my chuchim, my, chuchim, my uh, uh, decrees, and if you will honor or keep my mitzvot and carry them out. Carry them out. How do we carry them out? Do not commit murder. But it goes way beyond that because the basis of do not commit murder is what? Love your neighbor as yourself, right? The basis of it all is love. So how do we honor the Torah but by carrying it out in love, not in obedience because we have to. You know, when, when my kids go and clean the room because they have to uh, is a whole different story than if they go to clean the room because they want to. I haven't found that one yet, so I really don't know what that feels like. Um, <laughs> Which is kind of what I figure God feels like, right? That, you know, we, we don't honor our relationship with him because we want to. We do it because we kind of have to, right? Um, but the Lord wants us to do it because we want to. 
He wants us to clean our room because we want to. He wants us to love him because we want to. He wants us to, to live with him because we want to. But then he goes on in verse 14 of chapter 26. He says, and this is, by the way, uh, Leviticus 26 is a setup for the blessings and curses in Deuteronomy. If you look at the blessings and curses in Deuteronomy, it's about a four-chapter expansion on Leviticus 26, and he carries it out a little more, and it gets a little scarier as we get into Deuteronomy. But verse 14 of Leviticus 26 says, but if you will not listen to me, nor carry out all these mitzvot or commandments, and if you reject my status, or I'm sorry, reject my statutes, and if your soul abhors my ordinances, I just want to stop right there and say this, the body of Messiah has spent the better part of 2,000 years literally abhorring his ordinances, his commandments, his statutes, his decrees. Because we say it's grace over law. Grace has done away with all of it. Really? So we can go out and murder people all we want? Because if you remember, murder is not one of the big four in Acts 15, right? So it means we can go murder people all we want, right? We can go worship other gods. All we, grace will cover it. It's all good. No, no, no. It's not like that. God gave us his word. He gave us his commandments that we would honor them to the best of our ability now by the leading of his Ruach HaKodesh. And he says that we are not to abhor his commandments, abhor his ordinances. Uh, but here he says, if, you, if your soul abhors my ordinances so that you do not keep all my mitzvot, but instead break my covenant, then I will do the following to you in return. I will appoint terror over you, wasting disease and fever that will dim the eyes and cause the soul to pine away. You will sorrow, uh, sow your seed in vain because your enemy will eat it. And he goes on with some more treacherous and frightening things. And then verse 21, he says, if you will keep walking contrary, in other words, if, if all of that didn't wake you up, if all of that didn't get your attention, verse 21, if you keep walking contrary to me and will not listen to me, then I will multiply the plagues on you seven times like your sins. I will send the wild animals among you, which will rob of you of your children, destroy your livestock, and make you so few in number that your roads will become deserted. Now, if in spite of these things, you will not be chastened by me. In other words, you will not be corrected by me, but walk contrary to me instead. Then I will also walk contrary to you. Then will, I will strike you, I myself, seven times for your sins. So he says, if you don't walk in faithfulness with me, then I'm going to do all of these really bad things to you. If that doesn't get your attention, then, and you still walk uh, contrary to me, then I'm going to do all of these bad things to you. And then he goes, and if that still doesn't get your attention, here's a little more to pile on top of it. Um, and, and it's interesting, he says, but, but walk contrary to me instead, then I will walk contrary to you. In some translations, they actually translate, instead of contrary, they translate it as uh, casually. It says, if you walk casually in regards to me, then I will respond casually in regards to you. You know, when we have uh, an intimate relationship with somebody, there's no casuality to it. There's no, uh, you know, where, where it's not like just a simple high five, right? There's a hug, there's an embrace, there's an intimacy, and that's what the Lord wants from us. But with our friends, there's, there's a casual response. Like when I get together with guys, I don't want to up and give them a big smooch on the lips, right? I'm not rushing. That's not going to go down like that. Um, but, but I will give them, you know, a high five or a fist bump or I'll give them a hug or shake their hand or whatever. It's, it's a casual relationship. It's not the same as the relationship that I have with my wife or even the intimacy that you would have with your parents. It's not the same as the intimacy that we would have with our parents. By the way, both of those relationship images are used in describing our relationship with the Lord, that we are children and he is our father and that we are the bride and he is the groom. So intimacy is the key there. And then he goes on to say, verse 27, yet if in spite of this, you will not listen to me, but walk contrary to me, then I will walk contrary to you in wrath. So I will chastise you seven times for your sins. 
Uh, verse 32, I will make the land desolate and your enemies settling there will be astonished at it. In other words, I will make the land desolate. And even once you're gone, it'll still be desolate. For the record, anybody that pays attention to history, that was the case from the first century through 1948. It was desolate land. Nobody wanted it. All of the people trying to fight Israel for Israel now didn't want the land then because it was desolate. It was useless. It was waste. All of a sudden, the Lord brings Israel back, fulfilling prophecy. And what happens? It becomes one of the most productive fruit-bearing lands in the area. As a matter of fact, they are a massive exporter of vegetation to Europe and other parts of the world. It's unreal watching what the Lord has done. They have single-handedly, Israel has superiorly advanced agricultural practices and, and science over the last 70 years beyond anything we could ever imagine. I mean, it's unreal watching their irrigation systems. And then uh, you, you go to Israel and you look at the irrigation system and how they do things. And then you come back to the States and you realize, oh, wait, people are starting to do that here too. The exact same procedure where there it made sense because they didn't get a lot of rain. Here we get plenty of rain, but this is still a better way to irrigate. And so we're seeing it come into play here. But the Lord left it uh, abandoned and desolate even after the, the nations came in and took over the land, even after it was uh, inhabited by people that were not Israel. It was still desolate until the Lord restored Israel back to the promised land. And so he says in verse 32, I will make the land desolate and your enemies settling there will be astonished at it. Verse 39, those of you who are left in the land of your enemies will rot away because of their iniquity and because of their, the iniquities of their fathers, of their forefathers, they will rot away with them. And then this is the key, verse 40. <clears throat> but if they confess their iniquity and that of their fathers and the treachery they committed against me and how they walk contrary to me in return, I walked contrary to them and brought them into the land of their enemies. And if at that time their uncircumcised hearts become humbled, so that they accept the punishment for their iniquity. Then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and also my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham. And I will remember the land, verse 40, 44. Yet for all that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not reject them, nor will I hate them into utter destruction and break my covenant with them. For I am Adonai their God, but for their sake... I will remember the covenant of their ancestors whom I brought out of the land of Egypt and the sight of the nations that I might be their God. I am Adonai. The Lord says, if you turn your back on me, he says, if you just walk with me faithfully, if you walk faithful and covenant with me, I'll take care of you. Everything will be okay. I will provide for you. I will meet your every need and go beyond your every expectation. But if you walk contrary to my ordinances and my covenants and my statutes and my decrees, if you do not honor the covenant relationship with me that I honor with you, then I'm going to do this and this and this, and I'll take away your rain and your produce and your children. And, and if that doesn't do it, then I'll cast you out of the land. If that doesn't do it, then I'll destroy the land. If that doesn't do it, and he just continues on and continues on. He goes, but even when the worst of the worst has happened, just know that I will never forsake my covenant with you. And it's interesting the way he words that. Right? He says, if you walk contrary to me, I will walk contrary to you. But he says, I will never forsake my covenant with you. 
So even when Israel was in the diaspora, the Babylonian diaspora, uh, even when we, the, they were in the Roman diaspora, even in the modern-day diaspora, when we are not in the promised land, although uh, Israel has been restored, but we are not all back in the promised land yet, the Lord does not forsake his covenant with us. He still honors it, which is proven in the time and time and time again whenever enemies arise to try and wipe out the Jewish people and are never able to be successful. It's because the Lord does not walk away from his covenant. He does not forget his people. And for us as believers, that's a promise to cleave to because we are grafted into the root and the fatness of the olive tree. We are grafted into Israel. And as such, his covenant with his people holds over us too. He will protect us. He will provide for us so long as we walk in covenant with him. Now, here's the key. I'm talking about these commandments and things like this. And as we move through the scriptures, we see all the various commandments in the Torah None of them have anything to do with salvation. All right? That's the key here. There's only one thing that gives us salvation. That's the blood of the Lamb, Yeshua HaMashiach. Beyond that, everything that we do in relation to the Word of God, we do in relation to what He's done for us, in response to what He's done for us. So I strive to, as best I can, honor the Kashrut laws as best I can in the area that we live in. I strive to honor those and to keep the mitzvot and uh, the moadim and so on and so forth as best I can, not because I feel there's an obligation to in the sense of I'm not going to get into heaven if I don't, because my salvation, my ability to enter into the gates has nothing to do with that. I do so because the Lord has said, I want you to do these things. I honor his word because the Lord has asked us to. And you may go, okay, that's great, but, but this is now the 21st century. We are now uh, uh, brought through the first century and Messiah being hung on the stake and, and the, the, the law was hung on the stake with them and it's now grace over law and all that law stuff doesn't matter. <coughs> Excuse me. First and foremost, the whole idea of the Torah being law is bogus. The Torah contains law, yes, but the word Torah simply means instructions. And in particular, it's righteous and holy instructions. Righteous and holy instructions of how we live a life that honors the Lord. And so we go to John chapter 14. In John chapter 14, beginning with verse 15, we read this in our Torah service this morning. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's interesting that this was said by Yeshua long before the New Testament existed. So if you love me, you will keep my commandments. What commandments is he talking about? Because it's not like in the first century they could have opened up Matthew, Luke, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and read through his commandments, right? It didn't exist in print form. It wasn't there yet. So what commandments is he talking about? He goes on to say, verse 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. So he may be with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold him or know him. You know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. In a little while, the world will, be, will no longer behold me, but you will behold me because I live. You also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father. You are in me, and I am in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and reveal myself to him. He who loves me will... Uh, or he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. Again, this is said before the Brachadashah, the New Covenant writings of the New Testament ever existed. So what is he speaking of? And it's interesting that in the same passage he talks about, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, that he talks about the Holy Spirit. 
He says, verse 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper so he, will, uh, he may be with you forever, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold him or know him. It's interesting that he brings up the Holy Spirit because what is it that inspired the words of the Bible? The Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. So all of the words that we read from Genesis through Revelation were inspired by the Ruach HaKodesh, by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a part of God. How in the world would God go against something that he inspired to be said? Why would he contradict himself in such a way? But what Yeshua is saying here is, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. How will you obey, be able to obey my commandments when Israel could never do it faithfully? It's because the Holy Spirit, which inspired those words, will now reside within you. It connects us back to Jeremiah 31 and the new covenant. When our hearts will be circumcised and the word will be written upon our heart, the word is empowered by the Ruach HaKodesh, which now resides within us. It is literally a part of our DNA, which is why, by the way, most believers who say we don't have to honor the law anymore, uh, they're really only talking about four issues. They're talking about the Shabbat, the weekly Shabbat, the other Moedim, uh, uh, the Kashrut uh, laws and physical circumcision. Out of those four, there's only one I'd give any credence and argument to, and that's physical circumcision, because that was something for Abraham, his, his descendants, as an outward uh, covenant. Now, we can get into a discussion about whether Gentiles should or shouldn't, and that's perfectly fine. I got no problems with Gentiles getting circumcised. I think it's a good idea uh, for, you know, Gentile children on the eighth day when they're a part of the covenant to, to do so. I think it's a great idea. But it's not the same as when a Jewish person goes and has the, the circum, physical circumcision because it's a part of our covenant with the Lord through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's something we are required by the Lord to do as part of who we are and our heritage and our inheritance. But aside from that, the other three issues, Paul says if you're going to do any of it, you might as well do it all, right? Every Bible-believing congregation, every Bible-believing church that I know of preaches that tithing is important that it's an obligation, that murder is wrong. As a matter of fact, they preach that nine of the Ten Commandments are absolutely necessary. The fourth one they don't care about, which is the Shabbat, because they just push that aside. They all preach sexual morality, biblical sexual morality. Guess where that all comes from? Most of it is Leviticus. <laughs> Pay attention. Most of it is Leviticus. They all preach biblical sexual morality and so on and so forth. Paul says, if you're going to do any of it, you do it all. So whether or not, whether or not people like it as, having, as being a housing for the Ruach HaKodesh, for the Holy Spirit that inspire the words of God, we are now led or should be led by the Ruach HaKodesh to honor his word faithfully. It's got nothing to do with an obligation because of salvation. It's got nothing to do with anything that we do or have to do because if we don't, we're not good believers. It's simply got to do with it should be a natural response to the blood atonement of Messiah and the indwelling of the Ruach HaKodesh, which authored these words. Now, out of the Torah, the 613 commandments, there's a ton of them we can't actually keep today because there's no temple standing because there's no priesthood active, because we don't live in Israel. I live in Alabama. I don't live in Israel. So there are commandments specifically about Israel I cannot keep. I can keep the Shemitah on my, if we plant a little far, uh, garden in our yard, I can keep the Shemitah, but it's not going to mean the same thing as it would in Israel. Because the covenant of the Shemitah, the commandment of the Shemitah specifically relates to the promised land in Israel. It's not a bad concept here. It's just not going to be the same thing as it would be in Israel. 
But out of the commandments that we can keep, which are somewhere between 150 and 200 commandments, an overwhelming majority of them are just sheer common sense. Again, I reference biblical sexual morality. <laughs> Most of that should be sheer common sense. Doesn't appear to be so anymore, but it should be. Um, I'm not necessarily convinced that common sense really exists much anymore aside from that. But uh, J- J- uh, John chapter 15, again, Yeshua reiterates this concept. John chapter 15 uh, says, <clears throat> I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he trims so that it may be- bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I will abide in you. The branch cannot itself produce fruit unless it abides in the vine. Likewise, you cannot produce fruit unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. The one who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and is dried up. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. In this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. It's a message that most believers don't want to wrap their heads around today. Because for the most part, we have gotten absolutely perfectly comfortable with just blending into the world around us. Cleaving to the fact that we repeated uh, uh, words after some pastor somewhere along the line, and, and in repeating those words, we have claimed our uh, repented of our sins and accepted salvation, and we are good to go, never to worry again. We can do whatever the crap we want, whenever the crap we want, and it really doesn't matter. But that's not what the Word of God says. The Word of God says that when we are saved, when we find the salvation of the blood of the Lamb, the Ruach HaKodesh becomes a part of who we are, our hearts become circumcised. The Word resides within our hearts, within our lives, and it permeates through who we are. See, the difference between a non-believing Torah-observant person and a believing Torah-observant person, the difference is that a non-believing Torah-observant person honors the Torah from the outside. There may be an internal desire to do so, but they honor it from the outside. It's all about physical, external observancy. But those that believe in the blood atonement of Messiah that honor the Torah, the difference is is that we do so from the inside. And so we can go back to Matthew 5, and Yeshua says, if you've heard it to sin to commit murder, I tell you, if you've even hated somebody, you've already committed that sin in your heart, you've heard it to sin to commit adultery, but I tell you, if you've even lusted after somebody, you've already committed that sin in your heart. He's saying for every external sin, there's an internal sin. And if you let me handle the internal, the external will never sin. And he's reiterating that same concept here in John 15 and and earlier in John 14, where he says, I will reside in you, the Ruach will reside in you, and we will keep you on the straight and narrow, and we will guide you. And if you love me, you will keep my commandments. At the end, he says, if you, verse uh, 10 of chapter 15, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in him. Something as simple as the Shemitah. Out of all of the sins that Israel committed over and over and over again, including but not limited to calling uh, for a king when Adonai alone should have been their king, including but not limited to the Baalim and Ashtarot that they worshipped, 
of all the sins that they were kicked out of the promised land for, it was for not honoring the Shemitah. Now, I'm sure there's a lot more that goes into it. But the Lord talked about it was for not on the Shemitah. He removed them from the land so that the land would have its sabbatical rest, its Shemitah rest that God desired for it. So if God cared that much about the land, the dirt, the soil, honoring the commandments, honoring his word, honoring a covenant with him, how much more does he care about us who are bought by the blood of his only begotten son? How much more does he desire us to honor his word? Again, I want to reiterate, nobody leave here going, Rabbi David said, if you don't keep the Torah, you're, you're not saved. I'm not saying that at all. The word of the Lord says the only path to salvation is the blood of the Lamb, the blood of Yeshua HaMashiach, and that's it. But I can tell you, I don't know what kind of fruit you're producing if you're not honoring his word. And the word says that, that they will know us by the fruit we produce. What kind of fruit are you producing? And if you do strive to honor the word, are you doing so out of obligation or are you doing so out of love? Are you doing so merely on the outside or is it something that flows from the inside? Is it something that flows from the presence of the Ruach HaKodesh which inspired these words that's guiding your footsteps, your life, your heart, your very breath itself? <clears throat> it's important that if we're going to honor his word, if we're going to be scripturally observant, because there's 613 commandments in the Torah. You know how many there are in the New Testament? About 1,050. And every single one of them either further illustrates or further reiterates a commandment from the Torah. So if we're going to be scripturally observant, Genesis through Revelation, if we're going to be scripturally observant, we can only do so by the leading of the Ruach HaKodesh. The Ruach HaKodesh can only reside in us if we are bought by the blood of the Lamb, if we have been redeemed by Yeshua HaMashiach. He says, I will make sure that the helper, the comforter comes to direct you, to take care of you, to guide you. I will not leave you like an orphan. The Ruach will come and will lead you in the footsteps of righteousness. How do we live righteous and holy lives? First and foremost, it's by being bought by the blood of the Lamb. Second is by living by the guidance of the Ruach HaKodesh that now resides within us, which will not contradict the words that the Ruach has already inspired. Like I said, it's a message most believers don't want because for 2,000 years, or the better part of 2,000 years, the body of Messiah <coughs> excuse me, has pitched this idea that the Torah doesn't matter. Basically, Genesis through Chronicles or Genesis through Malachi, depending on if you're using a Jewish ordering or a Christian ordering, the Old Testament, the Tanakh, that it doesn't matter anymore. And the only thing that matters is Matthew through Revelation. But that's not what the Word of God says. We either believe in it all, or we don't believe in any of it. Yeshua redeemed our sin. But if what constitutes sin was hung on the cross with him, then what sin do we have in our lives for him to redeem? Instead, it was the curse of sin that was hung on the cross with him. As a matter of fact, we actually just read the Bible for what it says. That's exactly what it says. It was not the law hung on the, the, the cross. It was the curse of the law. And what is the curse of the law? It is death. And how do we come across said curse? By sinning. By being disobedient to the word of the Lord. Our punishment for sin was hung on the cross. 
We weren't given carte blanche to do whatever the crap we wanted, whatever we wanted. Far too many believers want carte blanche. They want to be able to do whatever. They want to, to, to quote unquote, know that they're going to be in heaven for eternity without having to live a life that is representative of the presence of the Lord in their lives. And I think there's going to be a lot of believers that are going to be really disappointed when we get to the millennial reign and ultimately to the eternity, to the eternal kingdom. Come to find out that, oh wait, all this stuff we rejected before, we're going to be doing now, right? The millennial says all those that do not come up to celebrate Sukkot are going to be what? They're going to be ravaged. All the nations that do not come, they're going to be ravaged. Well, if it was important to God in the millennial, is it not going to be important to him now? I don't see how, I don't see how that kind of a wishy-washy God is the God that we read about in the scriptures. It's all or nothing. If we want to em- emulate Messiah, we have to emulate the fact that he honored the word. He honored the Torah. He honored the commandments. But he didn't do so because he had to. He did so because he wanted to by the leading of the Ruach HaKodesh. And he's called us to emulate him, to live a life like his, whether we like it or not. And there are very few believers today whose lives emulate Messiah's. As much as we'd love and, and look, I say believers, I don't say there's very many Christians. We're all at some point in our lives going to do something that does not show that we are followers of Messiah. As a matter of fact, I'm willing to bet, and you can take me to task on it, I challenge you, I'm willing to bet before you go to sleep tonight, you will do something that will make you not look like a follower of Messiah. I said to you, I won't. You guys will. No, I'm just joking. <clears throat> look, we sin every day. Hence why we have to repent every day. And if you're not repenting every day, you're arrogant. You need to get on your face in humility before the Lord. Uh, Because we all fall short of the glory of God, even after salvation. And it's important that we are constantly being led by the Ruach HaKodesh, by the Holy Spirit, to walk faithfully in His ways. Amen? Avrachamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, I pray that you will continue to build a burden, a passion in our hearts and our lives for your word that you will continue to build a burden in our hearts and our lives to dig into your presence, to to know you more. Father, I pray that you will continue to awaken us to the reality that there is no such thing as salvation by actions, but only salvation by the blood of the Lamb, and that our actions should then be in response to your salvation, that our actions should show the light of Messiah in everything that we do, Most importantly, that our actions should be in alignment with your will, with your ways, and with your word. Father, I thank you for this Shabbat. I thank you for your word, for your scriptures. I thank you for our mishpacha, our family here, and Mayim Chaim, and for everything that you will do. And I thank you for the hearts and lives that this message has and will continue to touch. In the name of Yeshua Messiah, we pray. And everyone says, Amen.